0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Heaven on Earth podcast. My name is Bryce Crawford, and today's episode is going to be on defending Jesus, who Jesus is, uh, talk about his deity, talk about his past, and then look at resources, Christian and non-Christian resources, that defend who Jesus is, that he existed, um, and stuff like that. So before we get into it, I'm just going to start off with a quick word of prayer. Um, So, Father, we thank you for this day. Um, I thank you for another breath of life. I thank you for whoever is watching or listening to this. And so, Father, I just pray um, that you give me a spirit-led tongue and that every word that comes out of my mouth is glorifying to you, and we know it's from you, Father. So thank you for another breath of life. Thank you for, for leading this podcast and video. Um, and, and I just pray for a safe, great rest of the week, great weekend, and that you'll touch the hearts and the ears that listen or watch this. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's get into it. So I want to start off with who Jesus is. Jesus was a Jewish man, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. This is very essential. um, This is very essential to who Jesus is and his deity, because the fact that Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary means that he didn't inherit sin. He's born of a virgin. So as we know, like in in Genesis, when we see um, the the consequences of biting into the apple and giving in and allowing sin to enter into the world. Um, we inherit sin through sex um, because when a man and a female have sex, we inherit sin through that. But because Jesus being born of a virgin, um, there is no sin inheritance from that. So that that immediately talks about Jesus' deity. The best way to describe Jesus' deity is through this very simple theology term called the hypostatic union. That's where Jesus was both 100% man and 100% God. Um, and I think this is key, because I'm going to be completely honest with you. If Jesus wasn't 100% God, then his sacrifice would mean absolutely nothing. Because if, if Jesus didn't have deity, and if Jesus wasn't God then his sacrifice, he wouldn't have been able to bear all the sins of the world and be able to forgive them. And we'll see later on that he was someone that literally forgave sins not only through his death on the cross and resurrection, but we see him forgive sins like later on in this podcast. You'll see me talk about how he forgives sins later on in, in the Bible when he heals people or when people encounter him because of their radical faith to him. Um, So that's just the key thing. We must understand that Jesus being 100% man and 100% God allows his sacrifice um, to take on the weight of the world and allows him to forgive sins. Because if he's not 100% God, like I said earlier, then his sacrifice means absolutely nothing. Now, that's just a little bit about Jesus. But the foretelling of Jesus, people think that the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus at all in the Old Testament. That is an That is absolutely false. One of the things that actually hurts my brain to understand is like how obvious it is that Jesus is the son of man and the son of God. Like it's so obvious to me when we see it in the New Testament. I'm like, how did these people not understand like the Pharisees or the people that persecute him or the people that don't believe in him? Like, how do they not understand that that he's literally fulfilling prophecies in from the Old Testament? I'm just some big ones. Um, it's going to be Genesis 5. There's a genealogy in Genesis 5 that goes from Adam to Noah. Um, and, it's, and it's kind of randomly put in there, um, but it's very key um, because it, that genealogy actually links to the Matthew genealogy. It, it talks about, um, in, in Matthew, if you look at the genealogy where it, ta- where it links to Jesus, that genealogy in Genesis is very important for the one in Matthew because it allows, it allows that connection there, and it shows that. Um, another one is just Isaiah 14. I mean Isaiah 7:14, and we see that the virgin Mary, we see the virgin birth from Virgin Mary, and the name being Emmanuel. Um, that label towards Jesus. Now these are just two very simple, um, very big, um, predictions and foretellings of Jesus. But there is tons more, and you'll see in the video like I'm showing a video of multiple other sources that prove that Jesus is is the Messiah from Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled all throughout the New Testament and like ways that Jesus fulfilled them. Another thing that I think is very cool is is that in that genealogy in Genesis 5, there's something very interesting right there. So the Hebrew translation of all the names in that genealogy predicts Jesus as well. And you guys might think this is very cool. Um, So I'm just gonna list list off the names real quick that predict it and it forms a sentence. Um, So the names are Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. All those names in order with the Hebrew translation of the names. Create a sentence that says, A man appointed mortal sorrow, the blessed God, shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. That, is a, I, that, that just blows my mind. The genealogy in Genesis 5, the Hebrew translations of the names literally predict the foretelling of Jesus' death and the freedom we find in it. So I just think that's very interesting and there's so many more different things that Hebrew translations of of words like a lot of people forget that the Bible doesn't just cater to America, so that we forget that. And so, when we look at, it was translated from Hebrew and Greek. And when we look at the Hebrew and Greek translations, and we see the deeper meanings behind stuff sometimes. Um, so those are just little little bits and pieces that foretell Jesus, that that just kind of foretell Jesus's um, coming, his birth, and death, and resurrection. So those are just really cool. Um, I, I really don't think there's a way to deny it. Like I, I, I it's just very hard for me to comprehend. How to deny that? Um, now, Jesus earthly ministry. This is this is very interesting um, because Jesus is earthly ministry. So, if we're considering the Gospels here, there are three ancient biographies that that talk about Jesus. And then there's a historical narrative. So the biographies are going to be Matthew, Mark, and John. And Matthew was written to the Jews, and it just tells the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. That's basically what Matthew's telling people. Mark was written to the Romans, and John tells people that Jesus is God. So immediately, these three Gospels out of the four are pushing this this ancient biography, like writing about who Jesus is. Now, Luke, Luke being a doctor, this is very key, Luke goes into a lot of detail because luke was a doctor so he knows how to write and he knows the necessity for detail so he writes this historical narrative that was written to the greeks explaining how jesus was perfect um so i think that's very key and and in these we we see different things going on jesus was healing people different wonders happened and he was teaching and his encounters with the pharisees are really key um and something i want to talk about is just like his healings and wonders, like we see him feeding the 5,000. We see, you know, at the very beginning when he's getting the disciples, when he fills their nets with fish. We see him calm storms. We see him heal lepers and stuff like that. And so I just think that's it's just very beautiful. Um, The power that Jesus has and our and just our ignorance towards it as human beings. Um, like Jesus is literally God. Because when we see something supernatural happen... We must realize that it's, I mean, it's, it's from the supernatural. We have to realize it's nothing from this earth. Like, we, we can't look at something like a wonder or a healing or something like that. I had a personal healing, and I knew immediately, like, this can't just normally happen. This doesn't normally happen at all. So it has to be from God. Now, again... I want to clarify something. Not everything supernatural is from God. There are many things, especially New Age, crystals, manifestation, tarot cards, stuff like that. There's a lot of supernatural stuff that isn't from God. But when you see something supernatural, you must realize that there's nothing on this earth, physically, anyone on this earth that can make that happen um, without the help of something supernatural or someone supernatural. Um, So that's very amazing. Now, the biggest issue is Jesus and his deity. Jesus and his deity is very key. Um, so these are some certain things that happen. Jesus literally made direct claims all throughout Scripture uh, when he would talk to people. In John 10, 25 through 33, he tells people, I and the Father are one. <laughs> like, he tells people, like, am, I'm God, <laughs> that we see the Trinity, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like, he's saying, telling people, like, I am the Father of one. Um, another one is John 8 19, where it says, If you knew me, you would know my father also. And John 14, 8 and 9 say, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, he's making direct claims that he is God, and this upset a lot of people. Um, but like I said earlier, his his abilities to heal and his abilities to do things that no one else could just goes to show that he is God, that he has deity. Um, even on his trial, uh, one, one funny thing is like pe- the, the people when they were putting Jesus on trial, they were trying to find people um, to condemn Jesus so they would have something to put him on trial for, but nobody would because nobody could find a legitimate reason why Jesus should be put on trial. So they put him on trial for blasphemy. Um, they, they said they claimed he was a blasphemer, um, and we see that. He's not on trial for his actions, but he was on trial for claiming to be God, even though he is God. And his defense was that he is God and he's not a blasphemer. Try to tell these people. Now, blows my mind, still blows my mind how in the Old Testament, it predicts all of this stuff happening. All of this stuff happening. And yet, it still happens, it goes through, because nothing can interfere with the sovereign will of God. Things we pray for and things that that we ask God for can align with the sovereign will of God, but nothing can alter the sovereign will of God, which I think is very interesting. So yes, when Jesus was on trial, his defense to all the claims were well, I am God, I'm not a blasphemer, like I'm trying to tell you guys, like I am I am God. So that was very, very awesome, and and some of his indirect claims, like him not directly speaking it out, was he would accept worship. Um, John four tells us that we should worship in truth and spirit, and so like a lot of times we see throughout. You know, I'll give examples, but like in Matthew eight, there was a leper that praises God, that praises Jesus after um, his after his healing. There was a blind man in John nine that praises Jesus after his healing. Um, the sister of Lazarus and Mark 14 and Matthew 26 do it. Um, the, now, one of my favorite stories is in Luke 7 with the woman and the, and the, the alabaster flask of ointment. I think it's very beautiful because I, I want you to think about this. I'm going to emphasize this real quick. This alabaster flask of ointment was very expensive back in this time. And it would sometimes take people a year wage just to afford this alabaster flask of ointment. And because she realizes Jesus' deity, his righteousness, and his greatness... She's willing to give it up easily, no doubt. She she doesn't hesitate one second to anoint Jesus like with this alabaster flask. And I think it's very special because sometimes we have to think, like we have to sit and think before we want to devote our life to the one that breathed the life into us, the one that gave us a chance at freedom. Like We have to sit there and think about giving that up when this woman immediately understands the weight of Jesus and it's like, yeah, I'll give up so one of the most expensive things I own to anoint Jesus with it. I think that's very beautiful. So he he accepted worship and he forgave sins. Like I said earlier, in Mark two, John five, um, when people were healed, like he would he would forgive their sins because he saw their radical faith. Um, and some other indirect claims was he claimed to be life in John fourteen six and John fifteen. He taught with authority and he speaks with the word of God. These are just some of the indirect claims that we that we know. Like. This man is Jesus, like he has deity, he holds deity, and speaking on deity, some of his titles of deity would be Yahweh, which means Lord, I am, Son of God, Son of Man, and Abba, Father, and we see him refer to God as Abba, Father, and, and these upset people, especially the Pharisees, and because they, they were these rule followers, legalistic people, and it upset them because they, he was claiming to be God, and they didn't realize it, and so they were calling him a blasphemer, but he's not a blasphemer. He is God, and so with these labels, these labels are fitting for Jesus because he holds deity, but these Pharisees would get upset. It, ups, it, just, it hurts my heart to see these people not understand that Jesus is God. Really, really hurts my heart. Now, I could talk about the Bible all day and how it supports Jesus, but it wouldn't make any sense for me to not show you some non-Christian and pagan resources that literally prove that Jesus existed. Um, so we're going to do it. So for all the people that say that there is nothing outside of the Bible that can't prove Jesus, you're absolutely wrong. Some of the greatest historians that today rely on for past history literally prove Jesus. And one of the most well-known is Cornelius Tacitus. This man would would copy Roman records. That's how history is literally passed down. The people have to copy it and up, and record it. And Back in the time, you know, there were a lot of historians that would like to buffer history and stuff like that to do things. But Cornelius was a very trustworthy man, didn't buffer history, didn't, you know, alter things. So people looked at his old uh, history writings and stuff, for, like even in today's day and age, they look at Cornelius Tacitus' writing and history for proof and to look back at it because of its truth and validity. And in his writing, um, he talks about how Nero persecuted Christians and wrote about Jesus' crucifixion. It, he copied Roman documents. This guy that doesn't believe in Jesus, just a historian, Cornelius Tacitus. He was alive in, from AD 55 through 120. Um, he, he writes about Jesus' crucifixion and how Nero persecuted Christians. And And that was proof that Jesus did exist. Because he's writing Roman history, and he's passing it down. He was considered to be one of the greatest historians of ancient Rome. People literally rely on his old history writings for today's society. And he literally talks about Jesus' crucifixion. Some some other amazing, beautiful, um, beautiful researchers are going to be my boy Phlegon and Thallus. These guys are incredible. AD 52 and AD 80 through 140. These guys um, wrote, so Thallus Um, confirmed the strange darkness. The Bible talks about how there was this strange darkness when Jesus was crucified. Um, And he confirms that there was a strange darkness on the afternoon that Jesus was crucified. Um, And he wrote a lot of Mediterranean history um, from the Trojan War and everything throughout his time. And so, like, he was a very valid historian. And he wrote about how there was a strange darkness on the afternoon that Jesus was crucified. And my boy Phlegon, he was a Greek author, and he wrote about the strange darkness as well. And he gives a date and time, the 202nd Olympiad, from noon to 3. Now, this is, this is what I also think is crazy. He also mentions an earthquake, which it talks about in the Bible as well. But his excuse for the darkness was a, in a, a solar eclipse, which blows my mind. I've seen a solar eclipse myself. It happened in school. And historians and scientists know solar eclipses don't last from noon to 3. They last three to five minutes, maximum maybe ten minutes, not super long. So it, was impo- it would have to be impossible, impossible for, for an eclipse to happen. And on top of that, scientists and historians retract the location of planets and the sun and the moon all the way back to this 200-second Olympiad. And the sun and moon were nowhere near each other for a solar eclipse to happen. So, that disproves the solar eclipse theory there, but the fact that these historians that don't believe in Jesus are writing about Jesus' crucifixion and the strange darkness and earthquake on his crucifixion prove that the event happened. Um, And last resource would be Mara Bar Serapion. She compares Jesus to Socrates and Pythagoras, two very well-known influences um, within history. And she says, Jesus was the wise king and that he lived on his, in his teaching, which he had given. He, he would live out the teaching that he gave. Um, they're writing, literally writing about who Jesus is, Jesus existed, compared him to some of the most well-known, wise, everyday Americans, um, or not Americans, everyday people, um, and then goes on to say that Jesus lived out the teaching that he taught. Which if he lived out the teaching that he taught, which he did, that proves that that Jesus was perfect and the things that he taught. So it's very, very amazing. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, the garden on Mount Olives talks about right before Jesus' rest, Jesus goes off and prays, and in Luke 22, 43 through 45, it talks about how his sweat became like great drops of blood. And I, I love that emphasis because I think that emphasis is necessary to understand the weight of the sins he's about to bear, past, present, and future because his sweat being his heaviest drops of blood i think like just goes to show the amount of weight this man is about to carry on the cross i have this i have this tire track here it's like a train tire track thing they would nail it into the ground um, and i don't know if you can see how big this thing is but it's just as big as my head and sometimes i look at it and i hold it up to my wrist like this And I imagine this being nailed and driven through my hands. But imagine something bigger and thicker being driven through your hands. And not only the physical pain, but the weight of the world's sins and of humankind's sins being born on the the cross along with the physical pain. It's it's incredible. The death, um, I love the robbers on the cross. There's two other people being crucified next to him, one of them is mocking jesus and the other one decides to believe in jesus he's like you are the son of god and i love jesus looks over at this man and he's like you and me he's he's like you're gonna be a paradise with me tonight like you will be with me in paradise and i think that's beautiful because of the man's radical faith um just knowing he's like this guy's the son of god so because of his radical faith he ends, he ends up believing and going to heaven and as we see the phrase it is finished Being set on the cross, the last phrase, "It is finished," the prophecy being fulfilled. Now, giving all of humankind after this death and resurrection the opportunity of freedom through Christ, and like I said, it goes on to talk about the earthquake in Matthew twenty-seven through twenty-seven fifty-four that we talked about earlier, and then the resurrection. um, We see Jesus meets with all the disciples. And we see Doubting Thomas, where Thomas put his hands in the holes and realized, oh, man, Jesus, you actually did resurrect, you conquered death. And then we see the Great Commission go out and tell these people, and tell the disciples, and and, all, and a commandment to all of us believers as well, to go spread the gospel. And we see some of the greatest gospel presentations all throughout Acts and persecution, and it's incredible. It's an honor to be persecuted for Jesus. Um, all in all, I, I really think there's too much proof to deny Jesus, and there's so much more proof that I didn't even talk about in this episode. Um but, man, I'm just really excited and hope that there are some facts and things that you can use that I talked about to combat um, to combat people that argue with you about Jesus. And I will put this note sheet out. If you want the note sheet, I'll put a link to it. You guys can totally have it and use it, look at it. Really cool. Um, Guys, I love you, and let me pray real quick. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing me to speak and speak through me. So I just pray that we have a safe, great week, and that the people who listened and their hearts that were tuned in, Father, just allow them to use the knowledge and wisdom from this podcast episode or this video that they watched to impact other lives that they may be equipped and go out and defend Jesus' name. So, Father, we love you and we praise you we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for paying paying attention and watching and listening to this Heaven on Earth podcast, episode three. You guys stay safe, stay great, and new episode next Thursday. Thank you, guys.